Hola, hola. Everyone, welcome to the Shoe Podcast. Um, my name is Shoe. Today is January 31st, 2019, and it is a wonderful Thursday. I went to the hospital today uh, to get a health checkup. And yeah, I, also the fucking, when they inject you, they had to, or not, I guess not inject, but when the needle penetrates your skin, um, they, they, you know, were taking blood out to check my, I don't know, cholesterol levels or some shit. Um, but it was just like, oh my God, it hurt. Oh my God, it hurt. I hate it. I hate pain. <laughs> I hate pain. Uh, it's just fucking, and, and you think it's bad when they put it in, but when they thrust it out, that's when it's like, oh my God, that fucking state, the pain stays there, doesn't it? It just kind of stays. And, uh, yeah, it just reminded me never to go to the hospital ever again, ever in my life. I'd rather just die at that point than I feel that tiny little prickle on my elbow so uh yeah i don't know i had to wake up early today because of the hospital visit and uh yeah just waking up in the morning my breath in the mornings is fucking rancid it is so fuck it's legendarily bad like people um when i was in college people in my call the college dorm would tell me that they've never smelled the smell that came out of my mouth in the mornings. Like it was just a new smell. My, my breath, you know, like it opened their nasal cavities to new possibilities. That's what I'm saying. It just, it, they, I expanded their horizon, you know, it just smells so bad and uniquely bad. I can't even quite put it in. You know, it's like, it took so many laxative. This, yeah. Hello? <laughs> it's like I took so many laxatives that I just started shitty. Okay, this isn't going well, is it? It's not going well. I'm not gonna be able to say any of the jokes that I've written down because um, I'm just gonna bite my own tongue every time I, <laughs> I attempt something. <laughs> um, what I'm trying to say here is that I took. It's like I took so many laxatives, I started farting from my mouth. Was it worth it? Hearing that that joke was it? I'm just trying to convey to you how bad my breath smells. It smells so fucking horrendous. It's just, yeah, it smells like I spent the whole night licking every corner of Skid Row. It smells so fucking gross. Like I, I could make a living selling my breath to people as mustard gas. Like I could just make fucking that could be profitable. My breath could end riots. That's what I'm saying. It just smells that fucking gross. It's really bad. I don't know. I really can't put it in words, really. It, it just is a gross smell. But what is it akin to? I couldn't really say. It's just I smell bad. I wake up and I smell bad. I smell so bad, sometimes people confuse me for blue cheese. Like, that's how bad I smell. Hobos tell me to take a shower. You know what I mean? It's just, I just smell so gross. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you guys not have... I feel like it's pretty much impossible to have morning sex if you and your partners have just fucking shit coming out of your mouth. 
but I guess for most people, I guess this isn't a problem. I asked uh, my friend who, you know, unlike me, has sexual relations with human beings. And um, yeah, he was telling me, like, I was asking him, like, how do you have morning sex? Do you guys' breath stink? And they were like, no, we're, we're fine. It's like, it's not, why are you talking about? It's not that bad at all. So maybe this is a me problem. Um, hashtag me only. I mean, no, there's, there's other people who deal with with bad breath. Um, <laughs> those of us that have bad breath, you know, encoded in our DNA. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess even if you do have bad breath, just horniness fucking supersedes any kind of you know hesitancy about having bad breath. It just is so bad. My halitosis. In the morning. My morning breath is the reason Voldemort doesn't have a nose. He just fucking gave it up as soon as he got a whiff of my breath in the morning. Yeah. It is, it's because I breathe from my mouth, really, is what it is. It's because I breathe from my mouth that uh, I, th- I think at least that's my opinion. That because I'm breathing from my mouth, everything in my mouth gets so dry. And so I'm, I wake up with just this fucking I just reek reek of shit I'm a mouth breather you know I'm <laughs> in all all senses of the word I'm both a nerd and I literally breathe in and out of my mouth yeah my friend tells me that to, 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 he doesn't he also breathes from his mouth uh, at night so he tapes up his mouth literally just pastes tape on his mouth you know in kind of like an X position uh and so that throughout the night he's forced to breathe from his nose um i'm sure that you know i don't know if he had bad breath problems but probably doesn't probably contributes to you know him smelling better in the morning um yeah no i can't do that i can't i can't i live with my parents so i can't have you know my mom walking in, seeing the, seeing that I've BDSM myself. I can't, I can't have that happen. <laughs> okay, um, I'm realizing the mic position was a little bit bad for the first little part here. Is that a little better? I don't know if that made any difference. It sounds a little better on my through my headphones, but uh, mine is connected to the mic directly, and it, it wouldn't actually be what the podcast sounds like. Whatever. Uh, if you couldn't hear anything, now you can. So, um, yeah. That's it on morning breath. <laughs> I'm not going to go any further. Um, I hope there was enough bad jokes for you. So let's get to the main topic today. Today's main topic, Sartre. Thus, emo philosophy with Sartre. Yes, John Paul Sartre, the uh, 20th century French existential philosopher. I think he was the one who really if not coined existentialism as a term, you know, made it more uh, widely used. I don't know. Is there anything else to say about him other than he had interesting ideas, right? That's why I'm going to talk about him. I just want to talk about his ideas for this podcast because I like Sartre and I like his ideas and I think they're very true to life and um, true to our lived experience of life. Um, I guess the other thing I, I, I have noted here is that his significant other was uh, Simone de Beauvoir who was also a famous existentialist. But, uh, you know, it seems like they helped each other kind of hone their 
philosophies. I mean, I mean, with De Beauvoir, I, I see it, and, and this is I don't really know much about her um, her thinking, but uh, from what I see, it's it's kind of Sartre's philosophy applied to other areas of life and kind of extended, you know, for perhaps you know, like the her book, The Second Sex, which is big feminist book, is a lot of uh, looking at gender relations through the perspective of uh, through the lens of Sartrean existentialism. At least that's my kind of ignorant take on it. I don't know specifically. Uh, but also, uh, De Beauvoir influenced Sartre, right? Um, as I'll go into this further, Sartre's big on freedom. And he used to push this idea of absolute freedom, absolute freedom, absolute freedom. But De Beauvoir kind of helped him modify that position, um, kind of make it more into factical freedom, relative freedom, factical freedom, which is a concept we'll be exploring today. But anyways, the point is, I like Sartre. I think Sartre has a lot of good ideas. You know, that sounds so like condescending, like he's all right. <laughs> but um, yeah, he has ideas that I like. So um, we'll explore some of those in this podcast. And, you know, just as usual, the usual disclaimer of like, I'm no fucking expert, right? I'm just a fucking kid who read a few intro books in Sartre. I've never read Being in Nothingness. I've never even, you know, touched a being the nothingness book from a bookstore or whatever or library. I'm just learning about these ideas and just kind of talking about them, right? So no expert. I'm trying to make these ideas as accessible as possible because I need them to be accessible for me to understand them. Okay, so anyway, uh, here's kind of the big outline for um, the general outline for this podcast. Basically two parts. One is Sartre's big ideas. And then the second part is kind of uh, the, crit- the critique of Sartre, uh, particularly from a Buddhist perspective. Um, the first part, Sartre, you know, and philosophy in a nutshell. I'm going to be talking about the in itself and the for itself and how that relates to the idea that consciousness is nothingness. Let me talk about the desire to be God that drives every one of us. Uh, which is really another way of saying the for itself struggle to be in itself. And this will all become clear later. Um, third big idea, freedom. How free we really are. How that relates to the two concepts of facticity and transcendence. Then bad faith. How we lie to ourselves about how free we really are. And then anguish and authenticity. How anguish and authenticity are two sides of the same coin. That just sounds like a bunch of random words, like random concepts. Uh, and we'll get into it. And then uh, part two will be uh, kind of the critique of these concepts, uh, specifically by David Bloy, who is kind of the Buddhist philosopher that I've been really into recently. Uh, yeah, I mean, this podcast is becoming like David Bloy 101 because I'm just so uh, in awe of him. He, he has a great, like, uh, he. I'm simultaneously learning and also feeling like, oh, this is, he gets this about life. Or this is, I recognize this in my lived experience, right? Uh, so part two is going to be uh, Loy's kind of critique of Sartre from a Buddhist perspective, right? And the, the big idea is, is that um, this feeling of lack, desire to be God, existential anguish that Sartre says are built in, you know, facts of our existence. They're really not built in. They're not ontological givens, so to speak. And then, uh, this really comes from Sartre's inability to let go of his feeling of self and his division between the in itself and the for itself. And then we're going to get to the idea about uh, how Sartrean freedom isn't 
maybe it isn't really freedom at all. And so, you know, this is all just a bunch of random shit, but I thought I'd just list it all out. So you have a general idea of the roadmap for this podcast. So let's get into it. Sartre. Oh, by the way, the two books I'll be kind of focusing on mostly for this podcast. John Paul Sartre by Christine Daigle in the Rutledge uh, Critical Thinkers series and Lack and Transcendence by David Lloyd. Those are the two books I'm going to be um, really referencing or basing most of this podcast on. But anyways, let's get into it. Emo philosophy with John Paul Sartre. Uh, wow, that was cringy. Sartre in a nutshell. Okay, so let's start with the for itself and the in itself. The in itself and the for itself. The two fundamental ontological modes, the two big onto, uh, modes of being, let's say. The in itself versus the for itself. So what are they? Well, the in itself refers to basically objects, right? Things of the world, chairs, computers, air, our bodies, right? Anything that simply is. So that's a little bit straightforward, but the for itself, the for itself refers to consciousness, so we got the in itself, which is things, objects, and the for itself, which is consciousness. In itself versus for itself, objects versus consciousness, so to speak. And so why is consciousness not just another of those objects? Why is why does Sartre create this entire category, basically, just to refer to the consciousness, uh, specifically of human beings, right? Just consciousness in this whole other category called for itself. Well, he says that the for itself is what it is not and is not what it is. <laughs> it's like he's trolling us. But <laughs> here's the core point that's important. Consciousness is nothingness. And that's why the for itself is a, is a whole different mode of being than the in itself. And this is an idea, the line I'll be repeating again and again and again throughout this podcast, because it's so important. Consciousness is nothingness, okay? Consciousness is nothingness. What the fuck does that mean? It means that consciousness is inherently empty. There's nothing there, right? Uh, consciousness is just, it's just awareness. It's just pure awareness, right? It's awareness of something, consciousness of something. So, you know, you can say I'm conscious of a chair, you know, there's consciousness of a chair, but the chair is in itself, right? The object. Consciousness, it doesn't have any inherent content or essence. It's no thing. Nothing. Nothingness. Consciousness itself doesn't have any inherent content. Now, you might hear this and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. hold up, hold up. Consciousness isn't empty. Like, I'm a conscious being called Jason or whatever. Someone who's funny that's content outgoing that's content a little arrogant that's content like it's i'm not inherently empty look at all this content in my consciousness but where you're what you're referring to there when you talk about oh i'm jason this this person that's funny and, and outgoing etc etc that's the self right it's the ego, the sense of self, the feeling of self, the feeling that they're, you know, you're inside your head, perched, you know, I don't know, behind your eyes, looking out at a world that's separate from you. There's this feeling of self that we all feel. But this feeling of self is just a feeling, right? Sartre would contend that there actually is no static object called the self. 
Now, you, you can be conscious of the feeling of self, right? There can be consciousness of the feeling itself, feeling of self, but consciousness itself, no inherent essence or content. It's nothingness, right? Awareness itself is empty of any kind of inherent essence or content. In other words, consciousness is nothingness. So I hope that's clear. That's why there's a whole other category for the for itself, for consciousness. Because its nature, it's kind of different. It's empty of any kind of inherent content. Okay, so cool. We got this division between the in itself and the for itself. So what? You know? Why do I give a fuck? Well, the thing is, the central problem of human existence is that the for itself wants to become in itself. The for itself wants to become in itself. Right? As we just said, the for itself is empty, right? Consciousness is is nothingness. And, and the the core thing that Sartre gets at is that the for itself wants to no longer be empty by becoming something solid, like an object, right? Something static, something real. By becoming a real self, so to speak. The for itself wants to become in itself. Consciousness wants to become object-like, so to speak. Now, so far this might sound really like esoteric and unrelatable. That's the central human project, but actually it highlights a lot of uh, really the the underlying dyna- dynamic of all of our struggles really um and here's what it is we all have this feeling with us at one point or another usually all the time uh, that we're not enough right now that there's something missing here that something's wrong with me as i am right now that that, that i'm not there yet right you can't kind quite put your finger on it but there's a kind of emptiness or or, or this vague feeling of lack, like you lack something. You're not real enough yet. You're not happy enough that you're not there yet. There's just this kind of emptiness, this aching emptiness. So we try to fill in this lack in any way we can with shit like fame or popularity or girlfriend or boyfriend or Money or job or status or religion or big projects or whatever, right? So that someday we can finally feel complete. You know, no longer have to feel this feeling of lack, you know, and feel like, oh, I'm living a meaningful, important life. Or it can be past-oriented, right? That, that, that was future-oriented, but it can be oriented around the past, right? We can reminisce about a time when, oh my God, I felt so good, so complete. There was no lack then, but now I've lost that thing and all I have is, is just this emptiness. Yeah, we find that this, this aching emptiness, this feeling that something is missing, right? Or that there's something like just lacking, that we're not there yet, that there's something wrong with us. No matter what we do, no matter what we try to fill it in with, that feeling of lack persists. Why does this feeling of lack persist? What? I can't fucking do anything? I, I, I fucking chase all these things, try to become, feel more complete or happier or more real, but nothing can do it? I have to feel this lack all the time? Why? Well, you have to because as Sartre puts it, 
human consciousness, by its very nature, is a lack. Human consciousness, by its very nature, is a lack. Give me a sec. Let me just drink some water because... Start just getting me all riled up. <laughs> Human consciousness, by its very nature, is a lack. Right? Remember, consciousness is nothingness. Right? It's it's empty of any kind of inherent essence. Right? This kind of lack is its fundamental nature. So we're trying to do the impossible here by trying to fill in this lack. Right? Lack is what consciousness is. It's nothingness. So no matter what we do, consciousness is a hollowness that can never be filled. In other words, as David Loy says, the for itself wants to become the in itself, right? The for itself wants to become the in itself in a way to become a sort of being in itself for itself, a kind of combo of the two, right? But the problem, Sartre says, is that there is no such thing as a being in itself for itself. The only thing that you know would be akin to that is God. But because the being for itself in itself is an oxymoron, it just can't happen according to Sartre, there's no God. It's just an impossible ideal. Being for itself is, is always going to want to be in itself, but will never be in itself. So the central problem of human existence is therefore that we want to become, so to speak, God. Right? We want to be the being in itself for itself, which is an impossible ideal. We're driven by, well, here, Sartre puts it beautifully. Man, fundamentally, is the desire to be God. Man, fundamentally, is the desire to be God. Now, that sounds real depressing. And uh, it's, it's emo philosophy with Sartre. So, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to continue that way. But let's note really quick that it's not all bad news. Yes, consciousness is nothing this, and we will have to carry with us this kind of aching lack for as long as we're alive. But the fact that consciousness is nothingness means that we're free. We as human beings have freedom. Consciousness is nothingness. Which means that we don't have any predetermined essence, right? There's no inherent content there, right? We aren't innately shy or awkward or depressive or cocky, etc. Right? We determine really how shy or awkward or depressive or cocky we want to be through our choices. We're not, um, which we condemned to be anything. We can choose what we want to be. We're free because there is no inherent content. To consciousness. There's nothing there that determines what we have to be. We get to choose what we are at every point. In other words, the big motto, the big Sartrean existentialist motto, existence precedes essence. Existence precedes essence, right? Like the fact is we're simply thrown into existence and so there's no inherent or predetermined meaning to our lives. This is just kind of what we have. But the fact that life has no inherent meaning that there's no essence to consciousness means that we're free to shape our lives however we want. We're free. Now, granted, there's the facticity 
of our existence that must be dealt with, right? The facticity of our existence. And the facticity, according to Eric Dotson, the, the YouTuber, is uh, he defines it as the basic givens of existence that you simply can't change by choice. That is to say, you know, you're either born tall or short or, or I don't know, average height, right? You're born black or white in a rich family or a poor family, right? Born to this particular parent rather than another parent, right? Born in, you know, the 21st century rather than the 20th century or the 19th or any other era, right? Born in a concentration camp rather than Beverly Hills, right? They're clearly, there are external circumstances that have, you know, imposed some kind of uh, restriction or limitation on the freedom we can exercise, that we can actually enjoy, right? Clearly, external circumstances limit our choices on some level. Sure, the facticity matters, but we can always transcend these givens. We can transcend our situation, our immediate situation. We can transcend our facticity. In fact, we can do nothing but transcend our facticity. We determine how to act given these circumstances, right? Given these, well, givens of existence, right? Here's like, a, I think, an example that make it clear. Like maybe some dude reads Sartre and he's like, but dude, I'm in jail, like, I'm an M.A., I'm a I'm, I'm prisoner. How free am I really? I'm in fucking jail. And Sartre would say, mm, still pretty damn free. Sure, you know, part of that, your facticity is, you know, the fact that you're in a fucking cell for 23 hours a day. But you still have the choice to decide, decide how to use your time in jail, right? Are you just going to rot there in bed mindlessly? Or are you going to, what, like maybe like start reflecting on your life or who you are, you know, channel your attention towards the menial tasks you have to perform or, or find some meaning in those tasks? Or show the prison guards your good behavior so that they'll let you out earlier. You know, the people in power will let you out earlier. Or, you know, stop ignoring um, the other inmates and try to make some, you know, deep emotional connection with them a la Shawshank Redemption or something. You know what I mean? There's fucking, there, you still, even within those external circumstances, are deeply free. So you may not have absolute freedom, but we have factical freedom. Facticity and transcendence are thus deeply, deeply intertwined. As Christine Daigle puts it, the for itself consciousness is always transcending her own situation by making use of her freedom. Her situation is the starting point, the springboard towards another future situation. We can always transcend her situation. In fact, we have no choice but to. But, as I said, this is emo philosophy. This isn't non-emo philosophy. And so this freedom... Not really a cause for joy. You see, we aren't just free. We have no choice but to be free. We are not free not to be free, so to speak. Or as Sartre puts it uh, more poetically, we are condemned to be free. Why does Sartre sound so fucking depressed about it? What, what's so... I mean, dude, you're free. Be happy. Why is it so depressing? Because freedom also means responsibility. 
right? The, the, the fact that we're free to shape our lives however we wish means that we have no one to blame but ourselves for the consequences of our actions, right? It's, if your life is, you can, you can shape however you want, but that means whatever choice you make, whatever action you take, that's, that's on you, man. You got to, you know, face up to the whatever um, ramifications of your, uh, of your actions. As Lloyd puts it, my life is up to myself. And like it or not, this remains true at every moment. That's a huge weight to carry on our shoulders, yeah? Knowing that you're free, that's a fuck ton of responsibility. That's a heavy burden. So rather than own up to how free we are, we decide to cling to the idea that there's this static, unchanging self, that essence actually precedes existence by lying to ourselves. And this is where the big, famous Sartrean concept of bad faith comes in. Bad faith. Our attempt to lie to ourselves about how free we really are, right? Bad faith is really, in a nutshell, lying to ourselves. And most of us are in a constant state of bad faith. We delude ourselves into believing that we have a self, that we have this essence, right? Defining who we are before we're born. And how is is, uh, saying that you have a self kind of a... Uh, deluding yourself. Well, here's an example. Like I might say like, yeah, I mean, I want to talk to that girl. Like I've been interested in her, but I mean, I'm an awkward guy. I'm a shy guy. Like this is just how I am, man. This is how I brought up. This is kind of my essence. This is the nature of myself, right? This is who I am. And, you know, I want to talk to her, but sorry, not much I can do about it. It's just how I am. But no, 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 no. Sure, let's say, I'm, I'm not saying how you're raised or your genes don't matter, right? Maybe, you know, you know, being raised in a certain family predisposed, you know, makes it more likely they'll end up in a certain way. Or, uh, you know, the fact that you have a genetic predisposition towards, let's say, social anxiety means that, you know, whatever, anxious feelings or thoughts are more frequently going to be uh, entering your consciousness. But really, you can always, always, always decide how to act from there. How to transcend your facticity, so to speak. What I'm saying is like, sure, your parents made it hard for you to talk to girls, but go up and talk to a girl. Or or you get extremely anxious when you see a girl. Good. Go up and talk to a girl, right? I mean, you still have the choice at any moment. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. In fact, it's very difficult, right? But that's why most of us choose to lie to ourselves, to live in bad faith, right? To make excuses about who we are and how we act in order to act like we're not truly free, right? This this feeling of, oh, but I'm just sorry. I just, this is who I am. So that's not an option for me. I can't do that. But the truth is, as Sartre says time and time again, there is no self, right? There is no essence there. Existence precedes essence. Consciousness is nothingness. It's empty of any kind of essence. So saying this all, all the shit about, oh, I, you know, but I'm Shu, the awkward, you know, human. So, yeah, I can't do that. Like, that, that's an excuse, right? A fiction about an imagined self or essence that really has no bearing on how things actually are. And this reminds me of a, of, of a little passage from uh, Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. 
which is uh i don't know why why it reminded me of this passage but uh but it just came in my mind and it was great i am sometimes amazed by the connections my mind can make um every now and then i up my iq uh <laughs> by, by reading so here's the, the passage every human being has the freedom to change at any instant now we can predict his future within the large framework of a statistical survey referring to a whole group but the individual personality remains essentially unpredictable man is capable of changing the world for the better if possible and of changing himself for the better if necessary. Right? I mean, you might say, oh, we, 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 I, I am more likely to do this or these circumstances. We can put all these factors there that make it likely somebody develops social anxiety or whatever, right? But ultimately, you always have the freedom to choose. You're not, you can't be so fatalistic about it. There, there's, you always have the freedom to do other than what people expect of you or what the statistics might predict that you'll do. Sorry, the great thing about existence is that every, as Viktor Frankl puts it, every human being has the freedom to change at any instant. You're free. And to live in denial of this truth about your freedom is to live in bad faith. Right? That, and that, that's why so many of us would rather believe that there's a self and to, to live in bad faith. But what if we stop living in bad faith, right? Well, what if we just finally open up to the truth that there's no essence there, that there is no self, that consciousness is nothingness, right? And that we're free and therefore responsible for our lives. What happens then? Well, what you get is anguish and authenticity. Anguish and authenticity. Here's the thing. When we realize that there's no self, right? That everything you are is nothingness. You're going to be consumed by a deep, deep feeling of anxiety. Or as Sartre puts it, anguish. And there's a scene in the book Nausea, uh, written by Sartre, that's uh, very much uh, is, uh, embodies this existential anxiety. And uh, it's a scene where the main character encounters this chestnut tree and he feels his sense of self. Uh, dissolve, begin to dissolve. Here's the quote. Oh, by the way, I haven't read this book, so uh, I don't know anything about it. Uh, (laughs) Okay, here's the quote from the book. I was the root of the chestnut tree, or rather, I was entirely conscious of its existence, still detached from it, since I was conscious of it, yet lost in it, nothing but it. Right? Well, what's being described here is, as his sense of self dissolves, you know, as the groundlessness of his being begins to sink in, he's overcome but by this rush of existential anxiety. He's, wait, 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 I'm not who I thought I was. I'm the root of the chestnut tree, but not exactly the root. I'm, I'm detached from it, but, you know, because I'm conscious, but yeah, I'm lost. In, and this is where existential anxiety comes from. As Christine Daigle puts it, anguish is the separation between the for itself as it is now and as it will be, between me and myself as an essence. That sounds really confusing. So the the core thing here is this. Anguish arises 
when there's the tension between consciousness and the self. Between consciousness, which is nothingness, groundlessness, there's nothing there, and this imagined self, the feeling of self, which we feel to be solid and real and defined and you know essentialized, so to speak. The tension between the two is the root of the Sartrean anguish, or what you know we would more commonly call anxiety. And Sartre says, sorry, but this anxiety, when you stop living in bad faith and you know confront your freedom, this is the price you pay. Deep, deep anxiety. But the flip side of this anxiety, of anguish, is authenticity. When we realize that consciousness is nothingness, we finally acknowledge that we're free to choose how to live, right? We, we fucking, we fess up to the fact that we're free. You know, we accept the anxiety and the feeling of lack that are pretty much built in parts of our existence and take on the responsibility of living our lives. This is authenticity. Now, Sartre never really exactly explains why authenticity is particularly ethical or desirable, but he simply states that we, you know, at heart deep down aim towards this anxiety. The authentic life is the anguished life. Uh, to paraphrase Christine Dayol, she says, man must acknowledge his freedom. If he does, he will be anguished, but he will also be authentic. So therefore, anguish and anxi- uh, or sorry, anxiety slash anguish and authenticity are two sides of the same coin, right? We can either live in bad faith, lie to ourselves about how free we really are, or choose the path of authenticity and genuinely accept how free we really are and how much responsibility uh, that entails, but also live in deep, in a state of deep, deep anxiety, right? Be consumed by this existential anguish. We can either believe that, oh, I'm just this, person, I'm this being, I'm this self that is this way, that has this essence, or we can let go of that self and find ourselves in this kind of tension between consciousness and the feeling of self in a state of existential anxiety. So that is Sartre in a nutshell. That's kind of uh, the gist of Sartre's philosophy. There's actually other stuff I wish I could get into, but... um, I, I do need to move on to the critique of Sartre because the other stuff about Sartre isn't, at least in my view, is relevant uh, for the critique. And so maybe we'll do like a Sartre part two at some point else. But, but maybe I should uh, really quickly just uh, um, sum up some of the concepts that we just went through. Because that was a lot, no? But I think I, I don't think anything was too hard to understand. I hope not. Um, I tried to make it accessible as possible. It can't be that hard. I'm, I'm digesting it. So <laughs> I can't be... <laughs> So here's uh, Sartre's philosophy in a nutshell. Yeah, here's coming what we went through in the past uh, half an hour. So the, the idea is, first of all, there's two modes of existence, right? The in itself and the for itself. The in itself is like things, objects, right? Chair, air, bodies. And then the for itself is consciousness. And the interesting thing about the for itself is that consciousness is nothingness. The for itself lacks any kind of inherent essence or self, right? Some solidity or objective kind of, uh, you know, essentialized quality, so to speak. Um, and because consciousness is nothingness, because the for itself lacks the solidity of the in itself, the for itself wants to be 
or become in itself. And that's kind of the central human project, right? That's why, in the words of Sartre, man is fundamental, or he said something like, man is fundamentally the desire to be God, or some shit like that, yeah? You remember the quote. <laughs> We're all at heart driven by the desire to be God. All our desires, cravings, attachments, wishes, hopes, uh, yearnings, avoidances, all of these are expressions of a deep, deep, deep down underlying desire to be God, to be the being in itself for itself, to somehow uh, become solid and real, so to speak, right? Now, the fact that consciousness uh, is nothingness means that we are free. We have freedom. Now, specifically, factical freedom, right? Our facticity kind of limits our choices, but we're still able to transcend our facticity to make the choices we want to make um, given this situation. But that's a lot of responsibility. And so most of us would rather just live in bad faith, lie to ourselves about how free we really are by saying, oh, I am this self. And this self is an essence that, uh, you know, on some level, I'm kind of, con- I want to do this, but I can't because that's just me, man. That's bad faith. But what if we stop living in bad faith? Well, that means you're going to be in a deep, deep state of anguish. You know, the anguish coming from the tension between the nothingness of consciousness and the apparent or supposed solidity of the self, right? This is where the anxiety comes from. But the flip side of that is that you will also be authentic. Anguish and authenticity are two sides of the same coin. So that's kind of Sartre in a nutshell. Um, I I hope that, uh, yeah, I mean, cool ideas, no? I think very true about how we live life. But I do want to get to the critique of Sartre because I think there is something that Loy points out that Sartre misses that is important. He gets our... He, well, I, I've written right here. Loy's brand of Buddhism essentially acts as a corrective for the bleak pessimism of Sartre's philosophy. Right? It's emo philosophy with Sartre. So we're, it's all good. He's emo, but doesn't have to be that emo. So let, let, let's get to Why? Let's get into David Loy's critique of Sartre. Now that you have kind of the gist of what Sartre was trying to say. Okay, so let's again recap a little bit really quick. According to Sartre, the central project of human beings is the desire to be God, right? That the for itself wants to become in itself, right? And and Sartre posits that this is kind of a built-in dynamic of our existence, right? We're constantly, we have to, follow uh, this desire to be God, the for itself must want to become in itself. We constantly have to try to fill in this lack because consciousness is a kind of lack. Consciousness is nothingness, right? There's nothing there, no essence there. And so we're kind of, this is just our nature. We're on this never ending chase to fill in this lack that will never be able to be filled because consciousness is the lack, so to speak. And so Sartre says, best case scenario, we just, we embrace our freedom, you know, accept anxiety that comes from recognizing that consciousness is nothingness and become authentic. The authentic life isn't a particularly happy picture of life, but uh, it's the best we got, or at least better and more true to how things actually are 
than lying to ourselves as we do when we live in bad faith. And the important point is this. The feeling of lack, the desire to be God, the existential anguish are ontological givens, according to Sartre, right? The things we have no choice but to bear no matter what we do. They're just part and parcel of existence. But Buddhism disagrees. Buddhism posits that there is a way to extinguish this feeling of lack, you know, this Sartrean anguish, the existential anxiety, and that is to let go of our feeling of self, to experience a kind of ego death. Now, you might say, wait, hold up, hold up, hold up. I thought Sartre agreed that he already contended that there is no self, right? There is no self. That's why we have this feeling of lack. Consciousness is nothingness. He went on and in fact, it's kind of, it's hard to be like, that's my whole thing, bitch. Like you would be, I know that shit already. You know what I mean? So why, why are you saying, oh, he has to realize there is no self. Well, here's the thing. The problem with Sartre is that while he states that there is no self, there, 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 there's clearly some recognition that the self as a concrete entity doesn't exist. Sartre doesn't go far enough. And what's uh, particularly uh, illuminating figure here, I think, is uh, if we go back to that scene in Sartre's book, Nausea, um, where the main character, I say main character because I can't pronounce his name, the main character encounters a, a chestnut tree, right? And then feels his sense of self begin to dissolve. Let me just uh, drink because I don't know why my, my throat's getting kind of uh, sore. Yeah. All that dick I've been sucking. So here's the passage. I was the root of the chestnut tree, or rather, I was entirely conscious of its existence, still detached from it since I was conscious of it, yet lost in it, nothing but it, right? That was the the, the passage from nausea that we were looking at. And, um, you know, he, he says here that there, there's a tension, right? He says he's the root of the chestnut tree. Yeah, also, he's still kind of detached from it. You know, he, he feels the sense of self start to dissolve, right? Oh, I, I, was the, I was lost in the tree, nothing but the tree. I was the root of the chestnut tree, right? He, this sense of separation and self is dissolving, and yet he also feels like a separate self, right? I'm still detached from the tree since I was conscious of it. You know, I, I was just conscious of the tree just detached of it, you know, there's still kind of a division going on. There's a kind of tension there between, ooh, am I the tree or am I just separate from it and conscious of it? And there's just a division. And that's where a lot of the anxiety comes from, right? But contrast that passage with a passage from the Japanese Buddhist uh, Dogen, Dogen's essay uh, called Being Time. Here's the, the quick sentence. I came to realize clearly that mind is no other than mountains and rivers and the great, great white earth, the sun and the moon and the stars. All right, that's his whole, you know, that's his thing. I, I came to realize clearly that mind is no other than mountains and rivers and the great white earth. And importantly, what I'm trying to say here is that he says that mind uh, or consciousness, so to speak, is no other than mountains. There is no sense of separation here, no sense of division between the mountains and Dogen's consciousness. There's no self separate from the world, right? He, all he says is, 
the mind is no other than mountains. In other words, he is the mountain. There's no kind of sense of separation of, uh, yeah, I am the chestnut tree, but I am, but I'm, I'm kind of not as well. No, 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 no. Dogen's like, dude, I'm the, I'm the fucking, I'm the chestnut tree, like straight up. I'm, <laughs> I'm the chestnut tree, right? The problem here is that Sartre is still clinging on to his sense of self, right? And this, this kind of, you know, unintentional attachment, I guess, to the self of Sartre is at the root of the Sartrean anguish, right? He, he believes that letting go of the, of the sense of self leads to, to anguish. But from a Buddhist perspective, actually letting go of the sense of self, it leads to the exact opposite of anguish. You know, whether you can call it tranquility or, or you know, enlightenment or, or the, the freedom to just be whatever you are. In each and every moment. A kind of tranquility, so to speak. Or or bliss is another way it's often put. Now, granted, there is anxiety before that stage, so to speak. If you can speak in stages. stages. There is a kind of anxiety, right? There's a moment where the attention, where you, you, you have this tension between the feeling of self, this solidity you thought you were for so long, and then the kind of the groundlessness of your existence, the nothingness that consciousness is, right? That starts to reveal itself. And there's a tension there. In that tension, you're clinging onto your sense of self, trying not to uh, lose it because that means you essentially die in that moment, right? Everything you thought you were dies. So no shit, it's going to bring about a ton of anxiety. So, you know, Sartre gets this right. Like, like consciousness is indeed nothingness, or as the Buddhists would put it, emptiness, right? Or, or selflessness, whatever. The idea is that there is anxiety there, for sure. That's the core existential anxiety. That's why fucking anxiety is kind of the existential emotion or mood or whatever, right? But when one truly lets go of the feeling of self, when there is just awareness rather than a clinging to the feeling of self the anxiety dissipates and you're left with an experience of of togetherness of oneness of as the Buddhists would say emptiness here's the important thing the reason why Sartre misses this is because he splits the world into two he separates stuff. There's, there's a for itself and then the in itself, right? For itself versus in itself. And Sartre denies that this is dualistic, but Loy says, no, no, it's, it's dualistic. There is a kind of dichotomy going on there. And the point is this. Consciousness is nothingness, for sure. Sartre's right about that. But also, not only is consciousness nothingness, everything is nothingness. Or as, you know, a better word might be emptiness, as the Buddhists would put it. But the idea is that there, there is no static, concrete essence to anything. There is only emptiness. There is no thing. Nothing. Nothingness, right? Like, if you're nothing and everything else is nothing, then, in a way, you're also everything. 
right? This is going to sound new agey as fuck, but really we're all one. We're all just one stuff, so to speak. So the feeling of separation between me as a self and the rest of the world is just a feeling, nothing more. So this division between the for itself and the in itself is still a kind of dualistic conceptual understanding of the world, you know, that we, that we kind of project onto the world, but it's a division that's not reflected in our, I guess, uh, non-dual actual experience of existence. You know, so, so as, as I said before, the protagonist of Sartre's Bagnasia struggles with anxiety because he still feels separate from the chestnut tree. And instead of truly letting goes, he still feels separate uh, uh, from the chest, chestnut tree. I fucked up that sentence. Huh? Sorry about that. The problem is that he still feels separate from the chestnut tree. Yeah, he, he doesn't he hasn't completely let go of the sense of self and just dove into that anxiety and let the fucking anxiety consume him and truly let go of his ego. He's still clinging. So no shit, there's going to be anxiety. The difference between Sartre and the Buddhist is that while Sartre is like, and this is as, as this is the best the things can be, but the Buddhists are like, no, 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 no. No, really let go, man. Really let go. Because what you'll find is it's the scariest experience in the world. And then tranquility. And here's the other kind of important concept from a you know through a buddhist lens sartrean freedom isn't really freedom at all but you know freedom is sartre's whole thing right we're free we're free consciousness is nothingness existence precedes essence so we're free and that's why you got to take responsibility we're so fucking free right sartre thinks that we're free because we can choose to shape our lives however we want right to fill in this feeling of lack however in whatever way i want to sure that lacks there forever but i can fill it i choose how to fill that lack how to fill that feeling of lack but when you think about it even then we're still abiding by our desires, obeying this supposed need to fill in the lack by embarking on this or that project. We're, you know, we're making endless efforts to fulfill this underlying desire to be God, right? In other words, we're still a slave to our cravings, to our attachments, to our desires. And maybe, I don't know, like a, a Sartrean philosopher might be like, well, yeah, but that's as, as free as you can be. But the Buddhists would disagree, right? Because they would posit that freedom in here is in being able to see our desires for what they are. Just mere desires, mere feelings, mere sensations, nothing more. We don't have to be a slave to this desire to be God. It's just another feeling, thought, sensation that arises in consciousness. Not a built-in part of our existence. Eric Dodson, the YouTuber, puts it really well. He says, the whole structure of making choices according to our desires is really little more than another way of being enslaved to our desires. Basically, just another way of living out our attachments and cravings, which is ultimately the real source of misery in our lives. So this is kind of one of the, the big shit that Sartre misses, right? He feels that the, the feeling uh, of lacking something, right? The, the, the desire to be God that constantly underlies all of our actions, the existential anguish that we feel when we uh, start to let go of our sense of self, 
All these things are ontological givens. They are built in and into our ontology. I'm sorry, but this is just what you got to deal with. This, there's no way out of it. You either like live in ignorance of it or you accept it. Either way, they're suffering, but probably better to be honest about how things are, right? That, that, that's Sartre's take. And there's a lot of truth there, right? He gets to a lot of important things. The main one, in my view, being that consciousness is nothingness, right? And there is no essence to us. The idea that there's a self, we're deluding ourselves. And then you're defining ourselves as this or that and uh, not recognizing how free we perhaps we really are, the, 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 for sure. But maybe even Sartre doesn't realize how much freer you can be, right? Is the Sartrean freedom really freedom if we're still obeying our desires? From this to that, to this to that, to this to that. But no one's saying, you know, don't ever obey your desires or anything. But notice, note, notice, notice that they're mere desires, mere feelings, mere thoughts, mere sensations, just popping up in consciousness and then eventually evaporating, right? We're not, the desire to be God is not just, is not, it's not our ultimate we're not fated to have to follow it for the rest of our lives. If we could just truly let go of this fiction that we call a self. So, you know, the ultimate point here is that I love Sartre, but he's a little too emo. He's too pessimistic, right? He believes that the, this this feeling of lack is a fact of life, right? And the, the, the permanent existential anguish is kind of a necessary evil for embracing freedom and living a path of authenticity, but that's not true. Because to let go of the feeling of self isn't to drown in anxiety forever, but to actually dissipate it, right? Sure, there's anxiety there, and sure, it's difficult, but there's no self there to begin with. And when you recognize that, or as the, Bo the Buddhists, at least, would say, there's bliss. There's tranquility. So that's kind of what Sartre misses, I guess. I guess, in a way, the Buddhists see light where Sartre sees only darkness, right? That's kind of the, the core juxtaposition. And um, I don't know. I thought all this shit was interesting. I don't know how interesting you guys found it. Um, yeah, because Sartre's awesome. I, I really like his ideas, but... I guess David Loy's take on Sartre really helped me recognize something that, oh, oh yeah, wow, Within a, from a Buddhist lens, he does kind of miss this. Because I really, I, consciousness is nothingness, really captured in this like pretentious, pithy way, a, a, a core thing that I've always, um, I guess, couldn't put into words. And Sartre did that, and that's dope. But um, always good to critique those ideas as well and get a fuller picture. You know, it's it's all, you know, critiquing and then like figuring out which ideas click with you, which don't. Also, again, like I'm not an expert, right? So fucking, you know, maybe you liked some ideas. Maybe you didn't like others that I said. Maybe you agree with Sartre and not David Loy, right? Or maybe you disagree with uh, both of them, you know, neither have anything worthwhile to say but i'm still glad that you listened to this podcast anyways and indulged me in my uh 
you know, verbal jerking off to Sartre and David Loy. So, uh, so yeah, my throat is really tired. I don't know. What the fuck is going Maybe I'm coming down with something? Maybe it's just, I'm just kind of, maybe got something from the hospital. That's fucked up. So, yeah, that's not great. Fuck me. <laughs> that wouldn't be great. Alright. Um, well, on that uh, somewhat dark note, I will leave you guys at it. So, yeah, have a great rest of your day. I'll be uh, picking on my, uh, should we call this callus? Yeah, that's developed uh, on my finger. It's real gross. All right, see ya.